when I was thinking about what I wanted what I wanted to speak about this week, I thought about gratitude because November traditionally is a month where we do think about gratitude because of Thanksgiving, even though the Thanksgiving mythology is bogus and it's the colonial myth of the United States. Um, I still appreciate the invitation to reflect on gratitude. It's really an important. It's an important practice. It's an, I think it's important to cultivate gratitude in our lives. And at the same time, I also was thinking about the shit show that's going on right now in our world. And there's the, the pandemic that's continuing in various levels in various places. It's continually evolving. There's the, the pushback against any kind of racial accountability like CRT or the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, um, etc. There's this dysfunctional government gridlock, um, this othering that is commonplace. We just create these these enemies um, constantly, you know. And then so there's that going on outside. There's the emotional um, shit show that might be happening. There's the grief and. Uh, mourning from the pandemic, from all the loss of, of lives, of jobs, of, of things we're familiar with, all kinds of stuff, um, whether it's acknowledged or not, these emotions are, we're impacted by this. Um, my sister-in-law sent me an email, she emailed me, emails me every day, just a couple of lines, and yesterday or the day before she said something about it, I don't think we're going to get back to the way it was, and I'm like, no. There's there's never any going back because it's all an imagination anyway. It's all made up. As soon as it's gone, it's it's in our minds and we're 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 creating a story of what was, which is part of the problem that we're in right now. Um, so there's there's all these these experiences that people are having happy having that can sometimes really feel very hopeless. And then there's all our own particular stories, our own lives, and what's going on in them the joys, the sadness, the sorrow, um, whatever's happening. Um, so, you know, the question that comes up for me as I was thinking about this is how do I keep my heart open? How do I keep my heart open in spite of all of this stuff that's going on? I mean, I've spent years talking about living with an undefended heart and, and making that a lens of my practice so that I, that's probably why that came up for me. There's a there's a teacher up in the Bay Area in Oakland, Mushim Patricia Ikeda, and she posted on Facebook the other day. She does a daily metta, which is loving kindness. Um, she's been doing that, I think, um, since I started doing the morning meditation. So it's been like, you know, over 600 days. And so every day she does a metta for somebody. And yesterday or the day before, she did a metta for... Uh, Representative Gosar, he's the guy who put up that horrible anime. She goes, for his his graphic person, because obviously I'm sure he didn't do it. He had somebody do it for him. And I commented that that's graduate-level work, that really keeping this open-hearted, open-heartedness towards people, not developing our own place of hate and um, and hardness and othering. That's not a place that's healthy. That's not a place that's wise and skillful. And that's not where I want to go, and I don't think we want to go there as human beings. It's so easy to fall into that, but how do we instead keep our hearts open? 
you know, this is, this is what the practice is about. It's easy to fall into those bubbles. Um, but how do we, how do we do that? How do we not, not fall into bubbles, but instead keep our hearts open? Um, you know, because if you think about it, hardening our hearts, keeping this anger doesn't do anything to the others. It's, it has an impact on us. It has a detrimental impact on us, whether we're aware of it or not. And so, um, intellectually we may understand that but it's really difficult to do so that's what i want to i want to i want to uh reflect on this evening is how do we keep our hearts open how do we not fall into that that um fall into lockstep with everyone else and so one of the things that i thought about that there's a i somewhere over the last few years i came across an exercise. I saw an article by Rick Hansen. Rick Hansen, he's a Buddhist teacher, but he's also, I love his title, he's an evolutionary neuropsychologist. So, and he's, he's, he's neuroscientist, neuropsychologist, he says. And he wrote the book, Buddha's Brain. But, um, but he wrote this piece that's not in Buddha's Brain, but I forget where I saw it. I probably did a, did a um, Google search. And he talks about letting go. And he talks about when we let go, when we want to let go of thoughts or ideas or habits or whatever um, that may not be served or may not be beneficial, that or that we just want to let go of for some reason because they cause suffering for ourselves or for others, they cause harm. Um, he says that when we want to let go, letting go without aversion, without going, I have to do it because I have to do it, but from a genuine acknowledgement of it would be a lot better if I didn't have this, if I didn't hold on to this anger or this habit or whatever it is. He says it's really helpful to join with something wholesome in its stead. So we're not just letting go into a vacuum. We're bringing something else that we can move into. And it gives, it's really important because it gives the mind something to work with. Uh, so thinking about something you want to let go of letting go of um, painful feelings, thoughts, stories, ideas. You want to, you know, how you do this letting go and joining is you get to think about what you want to let go of. And if you're thinking about a story that's painful, what does it feel like in the body? What is that, that story of, you know, not being enough or that anger you have towards a particular person, whatever it is? See what that feels like in the in the body. And then as you reflect on what you'd like to have instead, how does that feel? Often the, the one thing you want to let go of, there's a tightness, there's a constriction. And, and when you let that go and bring the other thing in, it there's a softening. There's a spaciousness that happens. And so there's a visceral experience of the difference between the two. So basically you're retraining your mind which is not a, not a bad thing. It's what we do when we sit. It's what we do when we practice. We retrain our minds to not get lost in the, the habits, those grooved patterns that we, that we succumb to subconsciously. Instead, it's this intentional movement towards something that's really beneficial. Um, when I was doing this a few couple of months ago with this class I facilitate this year to live group, I, I had them write, and I wrote too. And one of the things I wanted to let go of was busyness of just just always doing something. I mean, I, I have a lot of things to do, but then I do a lot of things I don't need to do. 
So, and then I, when I don't have something to do, I, I think in my head I have to do something. So what is, so I wrote busyness and then if I let go of busyness, what would I want it to be and what would I have instead? Or what would something wholesome be? And what came up for me was um, spaciousness and ease. You know, recognition that I could not do something that I could sit and maybe read a book or I could go for a hike or I could call a friend on the phone or I could do something. And, and it was like, wow. And so not that it has to happen right away, but when the idea of busyness comes up, let it go and then instead bring this other intention to mind. And so I, in fact, I was talking to a friend this week about this and she said she just can't abide someone she works with. And does she have to replace it with loving thoughts for this person? And I went, because that was like not, she couldn't get there yet. And instead I said, instead of thinking about the really horrible thoughts you have about this person, she just dislikes him very much. I said, instead, soften to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Bring some softening to you. Because having that animosity towards someone is can be really painful. So if you can soften that, that's something wholesome. That, uh, that, that I, um, you know, so that type of thing. So the reason I bring this up is it's really helpful when we're caught in this idea of the world is a shit show and it's going to hell in a handbasket and la-di-da-di-da, whatever. We forget a lot of times because we're so wrapped up, we forget that there is joy. We forget that there is laughter. Even in the midst of, of grief and pain, there's all this coming and going. Last week I talked about the eight worldly winds. There's pleasure and there's pain, or there's pain and there's pleasure. You know, there's loss, but there's also gain. These, these things happen. And when we're so focused on the one, we miss out on the other. And so what, what would be joyful, what, excuse me, what would be wholesome or, or beneficial to join with? And what came up for me are gratitude, gratitude and generosity. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that, um, the, the gratitude and the generosity. Um, there's a line in one of the suttas, one of the discourses, and um, it says, a person with no integrity is ungrateful and unthankful. This ingratitude is advocated by rude people. A person, of a person of integrity is grateful and thankful. And I, it, what that reminded me of is the world that we're in right now is like we can see this so often with all the behaviors of these people who are entitled. My rights, screw you, all about me. This ingratitude, this, this, this lack of integrity, um, this rudeness. And by integrity, I, I'm pointing to a really uh, a main teaching of the Buddha of the precepts and, and the Eightfold Path, the ethical portion of the Eightfold Path, to not cause harm, to not um, uh, intentionally harm ourselves or others. That's, that's kind of what this is pointing to, to have this ethical foundation that... Um, you're not just caught up in yourself, that you do see other people. This, this 
this, um, it's all about me and mine and blah, blah, blah. It's this, this colonized American mindset of rugged individualism, which cuts, cuts us off from connection and, and cuts us off from connection with others and gratitude helps us get out of that separateness, helps us to recognize that we're not just stuck, you know, on two sides, that we are connected with each other. Um, when gratitude is difficult, it's because we're coming from a place of lack. How can we be grateful for this when we don't have that? You know, instead of just being grateful, there's the yeah, but, the yeah, but syndrome. Yeah, but, yeah, but. And this, this eliminates yeah, but. It's just, no, be with the gratitude. Be with the gratitude. Um, we're and when we get caught in that, what about this and what about that, we get caught in the negativity trap that feeds on itself. You know, often we're taught that the grass is greener, um, which is why, again, it takes effort. It takes uh, intention to let the mind just relax and cultivate this gratitude, really shifting our perspective and how we see things. Gratitude is a, a very direct way to connect with well-being. We're connecting with something beneficial that we're aware of, that we're connected with in this moment. Not that we don't, what we don't have tomorrow or what we didn't have yesterday, but what's present right now. It's because we are paying attention. Gratitude is awareness. We're paying attention to this moment, not yesterday and not tomorrow. You know, so we can see the sunset. We can see the, the breath that we're breathing in and breathing out, the color of the sky, our ability to think, our ability to walk, or whatever it is we have, um, the food on our plate, the, the roof over our head. We recognize this. So to be um, grateful for that, you know, gratitude opens us up to a larger perspective when we're faced with challenges and it helps us address them because when we're faced with challenges, so often we get caught up in that. And gratitude is not a bypass. It's like, well, I have to be grateful for this because. And it's like, no, there's a genuineness to the gratitude I'm talking about of like, wow, things are really difficult, and this burrito is so good. Or my kitty is the sweetest thing in the world. I'm so grateful for that. You know? Because there's always a yardstick of not being good enough, you know, or needing to do better. And we can acknowledge we need to do better in certain things, and we can acknowledge that we're perhaps not always as skillful as we could be, but we have to we can let go of the judgment and be grateful. It's not either or. It's this and this. This is true and this is true. They're not mutually exclusive. I mean, I used to be so disdainful of um, gratitude. And in fact, that's what you want to look at. I like to say, if you're struggling with something, like struggling with gratitude or struggling with something else, what's getting in the way? And for me, a, long t a lot of times it was dismissiveness, you know? I was just totally dismissive of gratitude. I, I think I had that yeah, but uh, mentality. Um, you know, I would get caught up in... Um, it's not enough, perhaps a sense of perfectionism, um, 
or non-deserving because I'm not good enough. I don't get to have this gratitude. Um, or we get stuck in fixed views. This is the way it is. And why should I be happy? Because it sucks. And what do I have to be grateful for? Um, or we get caught in judging or comparing. And so it really is helpful to take a moment and reflect on if you struggle with gratitude. And when do you struggle with gratitude? It's, it's really important. And when you do have a moment that you can connect with gratitude, um, rest with it. That's why I always do this invitation to be grateful at the end of meditation. 99% of the time I do it because it's so important. Rick Hansen, I think in Buddha's brain, he talks about how important gratitude is to really changing our neural pathways, to moving us from unwholesome to wholesome, from not beneficial to beneficial. Gratitude has an impact. If we rest with it for 10, 15, 20 seconds, it has an impact. Um, and there's also this thing that I heard years ago that when you're grateful, you can't grumble. So, and I actually hang out with this sometimes. I go, okay, I'm feeling really grateful right now. And it takes that, that whininess out of my experience. Because like, oh, I'm really grateful. This is sweet. And, and I'm grateful for little things, little things. I don't have to postpone my gratitude until the whole world is perfect. Um, and one more thing I'll say is that it really helps with connection. And Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, when he talks about the gratitude we ha have to recognize, um, especially like before we have a meal, when we sit and before we eat, um, to recognize how that food got to us. I mean, Farmers harvesting, planting, truckers, um, processors, shopkeepers, um, however, you know, restaurants, chefs, servers in restaurants or wherever, how big this chain of interdependence is. We're not these rugged individualists who grow all, I mean, maybe you are, but we grow our crops and produce them and eat everything. There's still things we are dependent on for others. And so to see this chain of um, interconnectedness gets us out of our sense of separation because that sense of separation is false. It's absolutely false. So gratitude also is a way to get out of that sense of separation. And Another way getting out of that sense of separation is why I think about generosity because generosity and gratitude can go hand in hand. They are both antidotes to clinging and they keep us in the present moment. And generosity is incredibly important in Buddhist teachings. In fact, oftentimes generosity is taught before anything else in, in traditional Buddhist countries. Um, people learn the sense of, of giving and, and of offering things and because it is, an, as I said, an antidote to clinging and clinging is, is a cause of suffering, our wanting things, our keeping things. And so um, it's incredibly important to learn to um, not be so attached to things that we can be willing to share um, it helps to, this generosity is a, is a spiritual quality. In fact, it's one of the um, 
the paramis, which are spiritual qualities that are necessary before we become we can become enlightened. And so it's in, it's very important. And in fact, Sharon Salzberg in her book Loving Kindness, where she talks about the heart practices, which are, which are traditionally loving kindness, appreciative joy, compassion, and equanimity, she talks about generosity as well. So generosity is a heart practice. It cultivate, cultivates our heart. Um, as we learn to give, we get a sense of courage, love, and brightness. It, that, that It's this spaciousness that opens up. Um, with giving, there's often compassion, love, joy, letting go of desire, letting go of ill will. Um, and with giving, there are, it's, it's unconditional. Like all the heart practices are unconditional. There's no expectations. Because if you give with an expectation, that's a transaction. That's not an act of generosity. So to recognize that, um, Sharon Salzberg also said that it's a huge delusion to think that what we do doesn't matter. But giving helps us see this differently. You know, we can take delight in being generous because it's not egotistical. It's, you know, this willingness to share with somebody else. It's, it's such an important practice. And it's not just financial. It's not just monetary generosity. It's generosity of spirit, generosity of time, um, you know, caring, it's, it's a lot of things. We can be generous in so many ways. So many ways. Um, we live in a world of hungry ghosts. And I love this image. In, in Buddhist mythology, one of the realms, there's the human realms, god realms, um, animal realms. There's the realm of hungry ghosts. And hungry ghosts are these creatures that have these ginormous bodies and these really small, like like a little, um, a straw, really narrow mouth, and they just can't get enough, can't get enough, can't get enough. So we, a lot of where we we operate right now is this realm of hungry ghosts. There's never enough. There's never enough. It's that that sense of addiction, and not just you know drugs and alcohol, but somebody. Oh, I was talking to Rick Hansen actually after a, a thing a number of years ago. And he was talking about like the internet is the realm of hungry ghosts, like social media. There's always, there's always, you know, more, 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 more. And so to recognize that, um, this craving and clinging. Um, so if we can let go of needing one more thing and cultivate this generosity, there's a tremendous amount of freedom there, you know, because there's always something else to want. So if we can let go of that, um, it's not easy. It's really hard because we, again, we live in this, we think we live in this world of lack that there's not enough to go around and they're ruining for me and why should I give them what I have and I'm going to cut off my own arms and legs rather than support someone who I think is different from me, you know, and so the question is, is this who we want to be? Is this who we want to be? Um, it's, it's not who I want to be. And again, that that sense of um, generosity cultivates connection because we are connecting with another person. We're connecting with something else. It's, it's you know, and, and can be really simple. I heard, I've heard a few times and I've read it that um, 
like from people in supermarkets or servers and restaurants and things that are dealing with the public, that it seems that people who were um, snotty and annoying before the pandemic have gotten exponentially worse. And people who were kind before the pandemic have gotten exponentially nicer and more polite. It's really this extraordinary thing. So again, we've we've kind of the gone into our separate places. Um, one is beneficial, one's less beneficial. So generosity, incredibly important. And another another factor in this practice of generosity is the ability to receive generosity which can be incredibly difficult for people. Again, especially in this world we live in, this, this world of um, indi- rugged individualism and we, we you know, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, which is a fucking myth. No one in this world can do it on their own. No one. Absolutely no one. That's... An, it's a deadly myth that we really need to continue to chip away with. Um, I saw a program a few years ago about um, the Depression and the Dust Bowl. And the Dust Bowl, for those who don't know, was this time back in the 30s when a lot of the, the agricultural lands um, in the Midwest, they, there was a lot, there were a number of years of severe drought, and then the, 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 the land was just over farmed and wasn't very healthy and so for for a number of years in a row <clears throat> they couldn't grow anything and and there were these winds and it was just the the soil was just dust and they could see the dust blowing back east in like New York i mean it was that bad and farmers the government wanted to support farmers and f- farmers refused I, I remember seeing clips of people refusing, saying, no, we, we don't accept charity. We'll do it on our own. And it's like, you're dying. Your animals are dying. Your, your, your family is starving to death. But it's this ego that we developed that is, you know, this, this conditioning, this, this world we live in. Um, so this practice of letting go of our ego and being great grateful for generosity and recognizing our shared humanity. You know, it's, it's a, such a sad story, but it's, so, it's played out so often to, you know, let go of this idea of who we think we are and who we're supposed to be and instead recognize our shared humanity and this interconnectedness, you know? We have to allow ourselves to be soft. We have to allow ourselves to practice generosity and gratitude. It's so important. It's such a it's it's how we keep an open heart in the midst of this shit show. It's not necessarily going to change what's going on, but it's going to change our relationship to it. So that we can show up in a better way, we can show up in a healthier way. We also take care of ourselves more, you know? We learn how to take care of ourselves and step back from the crap that we're ingesting. So, um, I offer this teaching because gratitude and generosity are available to each of us. 
You know, as I said, I end the meditation sessions with an invitation to be grateful because it is so important. It softens our hearts. And being generous works on our attachments. They work together. So, and it's important that we do this work. You know, we can still work to change broken systems and fight injustice. Absolutely, we have to do that. But we don't have to wait for things to be the way we want them to be before we soften our hearts, before we find gratitude, and before we give a little something to someone else. So I hope these words um, have landed in some way that they may be of benefit to you, and I thank you so much for your um, kind attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.